Dear listeners, are you tired of the endless cycle of fad diets and extreme measures? It's time to wake up to a better weight loss solution with Robody. As someone who's been through the ups and downs of weight loss, I know firsthand the challenge of trying to find what will stick. That's why if I qualified for Robody today, I jump at the chance for a scientifically backed program that supports long-term success. With Robody, you'll gain access to the most popular weight loss shots on the market, paired with personalized lifestyle changes. Over 200,000 people have already chosen Roe to help them lose weight. Say goodbye to the roller coaster of weight loss dreams and hello to sustainable, real results with Robody. Go to roco snoozecast. Sign up today and you'll pay just $99 for your first month and $145 a month after that. Medication costs are separate. That's ro.co slash snoozecast. discovered by new listeners, so you are, in effect, helping strangers sleep easier by writing. We sincerely thank all of our listeners who have already reviewed us. This episode is brought to you by our Patreon supporters and by Delicate Attentions. Tonight, we shall read the next part of Pride and Prejudice, written by Jane Austen. If you'd like to start from the beginning, please find and listen to all the previous episodes easily at snoozecast.com series. In the previous episode, the Bennett sisters attend the much-anticipated ball at Netherfield. Elizabeth makes the mistake of talking with her odious cousin, Mr. Collins, and becomes obligated out of politeness to accept the first two dances with him. She had designs to dance with Wickham then, but either way, Wickham does not show up at the ball. While Jane has a wonderful time with Mr. Bingley, poor Lizzie makes matters worse by dancing with Mr. Darcy, whom she has judged to be detestable. We will pick up with Lizzie and Jane chatting during the ball. Let's get cozy. Close your eyes. 
relax your body into the softness of your bed. Now, take a few deep breaths. Elizabeth listened with delight to the happy, though modest hopes which her sister Jane entertained of Mr. Bingley's regard, and said all in her power to heighten her confidence in it. On their being joined by Mr. Bingley himself, Elizabeth withdrew to her friend Miss Charlotte Lucas, to whose inquiry after the pleasantness of her last partner, she had scarcely replied before Elizabeth's cousin, Mr. Collins, came up to them and told her with great exultation that he had just been so fortunate as to make a most important discovery. I have found out, said he, by a singular accident, that there is now in the room a near relation of my patroness. I happened to overhear the gentleman himself mentioning to the young lady who does the honors of the house the names of his cousin, Miss de Burgh, and of her mother, Lady Catherine, How wonderfully these sort of things occur. Who would have thought of my meeting with, perhaps, a nephew of Lady Catherine de Bourgh in this assembly? I am most thankful that the discovery is made in time for me to pay my respects to him, which I am going to do now, and trust he will excuse me not having done it before. My total ignorance of the connection must plead my apology. You're not going to introduce yourself to Mr. Darcy. Indeed I am. I shall entreat his pardon for not having done it earlier. I believe him to be Lady Catherine's nephew. It will be in my power to assure him that her ladyship was quite well yesterday. Elizabeth tried hard to dissuade him from such a scheme, assuring him that Mr. Darcy would consider his addressing him without introduction as an impertinent freedom rather than a compliment to his aunt that it was not in the least necessary there should be any notice on either side, and that if it were, it must belong to Mr. Darcy, the superior in consequence, to begin the acquaintance. Mr. Collins listened to her with a determined air of following his own inclination, and... When she ceased speaking, replied thus, My dear Elizabeth, 
I have the highest opinion in the world in your excellent judgment in all matters within the scope of your understanding. But permit me to say that there must be a wide difference between the established forms of ceremony amongst the laity and those which regulate the clergy. For, give me leave to observe that I consider the clerical office as equal in point of dignity with the highest rank in the kingdom, provided that a proper humility of behavior is at the same time maintained. You must therefore allow me to follow the dictates of my conscience on this occasion, which leads me to perform what I look on as a point of duty. Pardon me for neglecting to profit by your advice, which on every other subject shall be my constant guide, though in the case before us, I consider myself more fitted by education and habitual study to decide on what is right than a young lady like yourself. And with a low bow, he left her, to attack Mr. Darcy, whose reception of his advances she eagerly watched, and whose astonishment at being so addressed was very evident. Her cousin prefaced his speech with a solemn bow, and though she could not hear a word of it, she felt as if she was hearing it all and saw in the motion of his lips the words Apology, Hunsford, and Lady Catherine de Bourgh. It vexed her to see him expose himself to such a man. Mr. Darcy was eyeing him with unrestrained wonder, and when at last Mr. Collins allowed him time to speak, replied with an air of distant civility. Mr. Collins, however, was not discouraged from speaking again, and Mr. Darcy's contempt seemed abundantly increasing with the length of his second speech, and at the end of it he only made him a slight bow and moved another way. Mr. Collins then returned to Elizabeth. I have no reason, I assure you, said he, to be dissatisfied with my reception. Mr. Darcy seemed much pleased with the attention. He answered me with the utmost civility and even paid me the compliment of saying that he was so well convinced of Lady Catherine's discernment as to be certain she could never bestow a favor unworthily. It was really a very handsome thought. Upon the whole, I am much pleased with him. As Elizabeth had no longer any interest of her own to pursue. 
she turned her attention almost entirely on her sister and Mr. Bingley and the train of agreeable reflections which her observations gave birth to made her perhaps almost as happy as Jane. She saw her in idea settled in that very house, in all the felicity which a marriage of true affection could bestow, and she felt capable, under such circumstances, of endeavoring even to like Bingley's two sisters. Her mother's thoughts, she plainly saw, were bent the same way, and she determined not to venture near her, lest she might hear too much. When they sat down to supper, therefore, she considered it a most unlucky perverseness which placed them within one of each other, and deeply was she vexed to find that her mother was talking to that one person, Lady Lucas, freely, openly, and of nothing else but her expectation that Jane would soon be married to Mr. Bingley. It was an animating subject, and Mrs. Bennet seemed incapable of fatigue while enumerating the advantages of the match. His being such a charming young man, and so rich, and living but three miles from them, were the first points of self-gratulation. And then it was such a comfort to think how fond the two sisters were of Jane, and to be certain that they must desire the connection as much as she could. It was, moreover, such a promising thing for her younger daughters, as Jane's marrying so greatly must throw them in the way of other rich men. And lastly, it was so pleasant at her time of life to be able to consign her single daughters to the care of their sister, that she might not be obliged to go into company more than she liked. It was necessary to make this circumstance a matter of pleasure, because on such occasions it is the etiquette, but no one was less likely than Mrs. Bennet to find comfort in staying home at any period of her life. She concluded with many good wishes that Lady Lucas might soon be equally fortunate, though evidently and triumphantly believing there was no chance of it. In vain did Elizabeth endeavor to check the rapidity of her mother's words or persuade her to describe her felicity in a less audible whisper. For, to her inexpressible vexation, she could perceive that the chief of it 
was overheard by Mr. Darcy, who sat opposite to them. Her mother only scolded her for being nonsensical. What is Mr. Darcy to me, pray, that I should be afraid of him? I am sure we owe him no such particular civility as to be obliged to say nothing he may not like to hear. For heaven's sake, madam, speak lower. What advantage can it be for you to offend Mr. Darcy? You will never recommend yourself to his friend by doing so. Nothing that she could say, however, had any influence. Her mother would talk of her views in the same intelligible tone. Elizabeth blushed and blushed again with shame and vexation. She could not help frequently glancing her eye at Mr. Darcy though every glance convinced her of what she dreaded. For though he was not always looking at her mother, she was convinced that his attention was invariably fixed by her. The expression of his face changed gradually from indignant contempt to a composed, and steady gravity. At length, however, Mrs. Bennet had no more to say, and Lady Lucas, who had been long yawning at the repetition of delights which she saw no likelihood of sharing, was left to the comforts of cold ham and chicken. Elizabeth now began to revive. But not long was the interval of tranquility, for, when supper was over, singing was talked of, and she had the mortification of seeing Mary, after very little entreaty, preparing to oblige the company. By many significant looks and silent entreaties did she endeavor to prevent such a proof of complacence. But in vain, Mary would not understand them. Such an opportunity of exhibiting was delightful to her, and she began her song, Elizabeth's Eyes were fixed on her with the most painful sensations, and she watched her progress through the several stanzas with an impatience which was very ill-rewarded at their close. For Mary, on receiving, amongst the thanks of the table, the hint of a hope that she might be prevailed on to favor them again. 
after the pause of half a minute, began another. Mary's powers were by no means fitted for such a display. Her voice was weak and her manner affected. Elizabeth was in agonies. She looked at Jane to see how she bore it, but Jane was very composedly talking to Bingley. She looked at his two sisters, and she saw them making signs of derision at each other, and at Darcy, who continued, however, imperturbably grave. She looked at her father to entreat his interference, lest Mary should be singing all night. He took the hint, and when Mary had finished her second song, said aloud, That will do extremely well, child. You have delighted us long enough. Let the other young ladies have time to exhibit. Mary, though pretending not to hear, was somewhat disconcerted. And Elizabeth, sorry for her, and sorry for her father's speech, was afraid her anxiety had done no good. Others of the party were now applied to. If I, said Mr. Collins, were so fortunate as to be able to sing, I should have great pleasure, I am sure, in obliging the company with an air. For I consider music as a very innocent diversion and perfectly compatible with the profession of a clergyman. I do not mean, however, to assert that we can be justified in devoting too much of our time to music, for there are certainly other things to be attended to. The rector of a parish has much to do. In the first place, he must make such an agreement for tithes as may be beneficial to himself and not offensive to his patron. He must write his own sermons, and the time that remains will not be too much for his parish duties and the care and improvement of his dwelling, which he cannot be excused from making as comfortable as possible. And I do not think it is of light importance that he should be attentive and have conciliatory manners towards everybody, especially towards those to whom he owes his preferment. I cannot acquit him of that duty, nor could I think well of the man who should omit an occasion of testifying his respect towards anybody connected with the family. And with a bow 
to Mr. Darcy, he concluded his speech, which had been spoken so loud as to be heard by half the room. Many stared, many smiled, but no one looked more amused than Mr. Bennet himself. While his wife seriously commended Mr. Collins for having spoken so sensibly and observed in a half-whisper to Lady Lucas that he was a remarkably clever, good kind of young man. To Elizabeth, it appeared that had her family made an agreement to expose themselves as much as they could during the evening, it would have been impossible for them to play their parts with more spirit or finer success. And happy did she think it for Bingley and her sister that some of the exhibition had escaped his notice and that his feelings were not of a sort to be much distressed by the folly which he must have witnessed. That his two sisters and Mr. Darcy, however, should have such an opportunity of ridiculing her relations was bad enough, and she could not determine whether the silent contempt of the gentlemen or the insolent smiles of the ladies were more intolerable. The rest of the evening brought her little amusement. She was teased by Mr. Collins, who continued most perseveringly by her side and, though he could not prevail on her to dance with him again, put it out of her power to dance with others. In vain did she entreat him to stand up with somebody else and offer to introduce him to any young lady in the room. He assured her, that, as to dancing, he was perfectly indifferent to it, that his chief object was by delicate attentions to recommend himself to her, and that he should therefore make a point of remaining close to her the whole evening. There was no arguing upon such a project. She owed her greatest relief to her friend, Miss Lucas, who often joined them and good-naturedly engaged Mr. Collins' conversation to herself. She was at least free from the offense of Mr. Darcy's further notice, 
though often standing within a very short distance of her, quite disengaged. He never came near enough to speak. She felt it to be the probable consequence of her allusions to Mr. Wickham and rejoiced in it. The long-born party were the last of all the company to depart, and, by a maneuver of Mrs. Bennet, had to wait for their carriage a quarter of an hour after everybody else was gone, which gave them time to see how heartily they were wished away by some of the family. Mrs. Hurst and her sister scarcely opened their mouths except to complain of fatigue and were evidently impatient to have the house to themselves. They repulsed every attempt of Mrs. Bennet at conversation and, by so doing, threw a languor over the whole party, which was very little relieved by the long speeches of Mr. Collins, who was complimenting Mr. Bingley and his sisters on the elegance of their entertainment and the hospitality and politeness which had marked their behavior to their guests. Darcy said nothing at all. Mr. Bennet in equal silence, was enjoying the scene. Mr. Bingley and Jane were standing together, a little detached from the rest, and talked only to each other. Elizabeth preserved as steady a silence as either Mrs. Hurst or Miss Bingley, and even Lydia was too much fatigued to utter more than the occasional exclamation of, Lord, how tired I am, accompanied by a violent yawn, when, at length, they arose to take leave. Mrs. Bennet was most pressingly civil in her hope of seeing the family soon at Longbourn, and addressed herself 
especially to Mr. Bingley to assure him how happy he would make them by eating a family dinner with them at any time without the ceremony of a formal invitation. Bingley was all grateful pleasure, and he readily engaged for taking the earliest opportunity of waiting on her. After his return from London, whither he was obliged to go the next day for a short time.